Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I am thankful that I'm able to preach to you every Sunday, and I'm thankful for the family of God that meets here, for each and every one uh, that does assemble. We're so thankful that we can uh, worship together our Father. Uh, he's our He's our common Father. We think about Him in that way. And I'm thankful for the great comments that Brother Mike made this morning regarding the Lord's table. and So many good things to think about and to remember. And as we think about Jesus, we just have to say that Jesus still is Lord no matter what goes on about us. And we also need to understand that His Word is still true. The Scriptures are still relevant. The Gospel is still powerful. And the Bible is still authoritative in that it demands, requires obedience to God. Because that's how God speaks through His Word. And that's where His authority lies. It reminds me of the time that a DEA DEA agent of the government had gone to a rancher's ranch and uh, he showed him his badge and he says, I'm going to search your property for drugs. We're doing this all over Texas and we're going to find drugs on the ranches. And so the rancher turned to him and said, sure, you can do whatever you want. Go everywhere you like, but don't go over to that pasture. And he says, you see this badge? That badge gives me the authority to go everywhere I want to. He says, okay, have it your way. A few moments later, he hears screaming, and he sees the DEA agent running away from a 2,000-pound Brahma bull. And he says, show him your badge, show him your badge. (laughs) Talking about authority. And when we think about authority, we think about God's Word. We think about That's where it is. That's where all authority lies when it comes to our lives as Christians and what we do in the work and the worship of our Lord. We turn to the pages of the Bible. And that's exactly what we read in the story of Naaman the leper who had dipped in the water seven times. You see, God told Elisha. He says, Elisha, why don't you go tell Naaman that I want him, I'll be, I'll be willing to clean his, his leprosy, but I want him to go to the Jordan River, and I want him to dip, immerse, that's the word, immerse, baptizo, seven times in the Jordan. And so uh, Naaman turns to the, his, his guards and to the armies, and he says, well, that doesn't make any sense. We have all the beautiful water here. Why do I have to go all the way to the Jordan? That's dirty water. That's like the Mississippi River. We don't want to go in that thing. He said, well, just do it here. And one of his attendants came to him and said, you know, why don't you just listen to the prophet? And you might be cleansed. And so he did. He traveled to the Jordan River And he dipped not five, not six, but he dipped seven times in the Jordan. And his skin was restored to him, his flesh. 
And it says, like a little baby, like a little child, excuse me. And so there's a connection there that we have always used regarding baptism. You know, people often ask the question, why does God want me to dip myself in water as one of the conditions for salvation? Well, he could have chose anything else. But water, and if you look at the Bible from beginning to end, water is representative of purity, of cleanliness. And so there's all sorts of symbology throughout the Bible, water of which one stands out at the foremost as being that element that signifies, that symbolizes purity. And so it was with Naaman, and so it is with us that God uses water as a source. And uh, and so you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible there tells us that Moses was baptized in the cloud and baptized through walking through the Red Sea. And so what we find there is water again being used as that uh, symbol for going from one side to the other. Water was used, of course, uh, in the flood that brought Noah from the old world of sin to the new world of righteousness. And so water again being the symbol that's used, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. But we've been talking about baptism, and we're going to end today talking about the essentiality, the essentiality or the necessity of water baptism. As we consider authority, Jesus said, I have been given all authority under heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to him. And so now, after he's been resurrected from the dead, and now just before he ascends back to the Father in heaven, he turns to his apostles and says, it's now on your shoulders. You go into all the world and you baptize people, making them my disciples. And so that's passed on to us. That authority of going into the world, that authority of making disciples, and the authority of administering baptism, which makes one a disciple of Christ. So as we continue the idea of baptism... In Romans chapter 6, beginning about verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him, and just as Christ was raised, we also shall be raised to walk in newness of life. Notice the three things there. He says, We died, we were buried, and we're raised. That's all associated with baptism. 
And it's associated directly with Christ's death. He doesn't say it symbolizes Christ's death. He says, no, you're baptized into his death. And that's the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. For I delivered to you, first of all, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was uh, that Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins, that he was buried, and that he raised the third day according to the scriptures. So he died for our sins, and he was buried, and then he was raised. Paul in Romans, what we just read, says we were dead to sin, and he took the dead man, he buried him in water, in baptism, and he was raised to walk in newness of life. Dead? And then Christ died for our sins and we're baptized into his death for our sins. We talked about that last week with that little word ace or ice in Acts 2.38 where there is the purpose for baptism. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There's the purpose. Just as Jesus just as Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. And so the whole point is that baptism is indeed associated with salvation. I don't know if you can read that, but I'll read it to you. This is from the Baptist Manual. Hitchcock's, and it was written in the 1800s, and this is what they stand by today. <clears throat> Baptism is not essential to salvation, for our churches utterly repudiate the dogma of baptismal regeneration. But it is essential to obedience, since Christ has commanded it. So, I want you to think about this. This group, founded in the 1600s, is saying baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is commanded for obedience. And it's not quoted here, but it's quoted elsewhere in the same manual. And our obedience does not earn us anything for salvation. That our salvation is only by faith, without obedience. So let's think about that. If salvation or if uh, baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is essential for obedience, and obedience is not essential for salvation, then what is the deal with baptism? Why even bring it up? Why even do it? Why even mention it? Well, they have to mention it because God mentions it. <laughs> it's all over the place in God's Word in the New Testament. And you can't escape it. You can't get around it. So you have to remove it by lessening its force. And this is why this manual, this is a creed written by men. That's why in the 1800s, 
in what was termed the Restoration Movement, where men like Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, uh, Benjamin Franklin, not not the, the colonial Benjamin Franklin, but the preacher Benjamin Franklin from Indiana, and so many others, they got together and they said, listen, we got to do away with these manuals. We got to do away with these creeds. We got to do away with these catechisms. All of that is man-made ideas about what God says. He said, let's go back to the Bible where God actually says the things that we need to understand. So that was the call for restoring God's church here on earth. This is Ben Bogard. He was probably the greatest Baptist debater of his time back in the 1900s. And uh, he debated <clears throat> he debated N.B. Hardiman. We got a college named after Hardiman, Freed Hardiman, down there in Jackson, Tennessee. Henderson, Henderson Tennessee. Thank you. <clears throat> so at first, uh, Hardiman debated Bogard at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. And in this debate, he's debating at some auditorium in Little Rock. And this is what Bogard said during the debate. He said, I'm going to maintain that there is no act at all that any man in the Old Testament time or the New ever had to perform in order to be saved. Salvation is received by faith. You get it? I just believe that Jesus is the Christ and I'm saved and I don't need to do anything. I don't need to say anything. I just, that's it. I'm saved and I can't fall from grace. Salvation is received by faith and faith is the only thing that you can do without doing anything. This is from the Methodist. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? No. Baptism is a gift of God's grace to be received as part of the journey of salvation. So we could go on, we could quote all these people from all these different sources and different churches and denominations, and they all claim baptism does not save. <clears throat> this is Max Lucado. He used to be a member of the Lord's Church, Church of Christ. But in the early 90s, he started headed another direction. And, of course, he's a very popular author, writer of religious books. <clears throat> he says, we are saved by grace. Baptism is a response to God's gift, not a way to earn God's gift. And he continues, I believe in baptism. Jesus was baptized. The Bible teaches baptism. I just don't believe that baptism saves you. Notice that. I don't believe baptism saves you. That's an opinion. Now, it's different when you say, the Bible says baptism doesn't save you. Because now you have got to prove what God's word says or does not say. But if I say, I believe something to be the case, and that's just my opinion. And opinions don't amount to much when it comes to our spiritual welfare. It's God's word that amounts to everything. 
So uh, he says, and baptism is one of those ways we celebrate our salvation. It's really the initial step of the faithful believer. So essentially, he's saying what others have said. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's important. It's important as a symbol. It's important as uh, being baptized into a church, being accepted as a ritual into the church. So the Baptist manual says baptism is not essential to salvation. We are not saved by baptism. Billy Graham, 1958. Baptism does not wash away sins. Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not a washing away of one's sins. Again, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Go back to Acts 2.38. That's what man says. What does God say? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38. Repent, baptized, equals remission of sins. There's the formula. Repent, Peter says, number one. Be baptized, number two. Be forgiven. As a result of doing number one and number two, number three, you're forgiven or your sins are remitted. Now compare that to what Jesus said. And Jesus says, he that believes, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. Being saved is equal to being forgiven of your sins, remission of sins. You can't be saved without the remission of sins. Whoever heard of a uh, saved person who was not forgiven of their sins? So a forgiven person is a saved person. And a saved person is a forgiven person. And it's based upon, from the context that we read, one, Jesus says, by faith you will be baptized to be saved. Peter says, repent, implying that by faith you're going to repent and be baptized in order to be forgiven. So therein lies the connection between those two verses. So what is the biblical order of baptism and salvation? Again, he that believes, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved. So here's the religious world. They say he that believes is saved. And then can be baptized. Now, which order is correct? What Jesus said or what others say? Obviously, that's a, a, a rhetorical question. It's what Jesus said. And so all those who claim to follow Jesus are those who claim to follow his words. But there's a lot of people in the world that claim to follow Jesus but twist his words. And so you can't get any clearer. Jesus cannot make himself any clearer than he did in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. He that believes has faith and is baptized. He has faith in me, and that faith compels him and propels him to be baptized in order to be saved in order to be forgiven. And just to kind of buttress what we're talking about, Paul is talking about 
his salvation, his conversion. He says, this is what happened to him. Ananias was preaching to him. And then Ananias turned to him and said, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He didn't say, okay, you're saved and your sins are already washed. Now be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. That's not what he said. He said, arise, be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Tells us plainly that salvation always follows baptism. You can read every section where, there, where the word baptism is found, and you're going to find uh, in all the conversion accounts that you read about in the book of Acts, that salvation always comes after baptism. It never comes before. Never. Not one passage declares that. And then we come and we compare these two passages. You see, if your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, then that's all you need. That's part of the argument. But notice, again, two verses in all the Bible that talks about the forgiveness of sins or sin and the washing away of sin. Sin and the washing away of sin. Those two passages are these two. Acts 22 that we just read. Why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized. Wash away your sins. Revelation 1.5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The point is, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ when? When we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 in verse 4. We're baptized into his death. We're buried with him through baptism into his death. And we're raised like Jesus was to walk in newness of life. All of that's connected to the blood of Christ. All of that's connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's when sins are washed away. The fact is, Jesus' blood does wash away the sin. But when does the fact take place? At the point we contact the blood. At the point of baptism. That's the demarcation line. That's the demarcation line from, from old to new. From being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. And there's a definite marker there. And yet, the world frowns upon that. Because they think that you're saved the moment you just believe in Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved. And if you're saved, you can never fall from grace. And so they repudiate the words of Jesus Christ, knowingly or unknowingly. It's hard to say that you love Jesus and then look at Mark 16 and say, I disagree with Jesus. Because essentially that's what they're doing. We take Jesus at his word. What he said is what he said. And so we accept all that Jesus has provided for us in that respect. These are some old uh, sheet uh, sermons I came across on the internet. So I figured I'd put them up here. Hard to see, but uh, 
Anyhow, it says baptism for sinner or saved. The sinner's lost. The sinner's in darkness, in sin, without God, without Christ, and without hope. That's found in one passage alone. Paul says you are without God, without hope in this world, without Christ. And then baptism for salvation, for the remission of sins, to wash away sins, to be in Christ, to uh, enter into death where Christ shed his blood, where we are obey, uh, obeyed that command that freed us from sin, to begin a new life, to put on Christ. And again, to put on Christ is to be clothed with Christ. Paul, if he was preaching here today, in quoting what he, is, he himself said, said, you're all children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. For, because, as many of you, as all of you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, have put on Christ. What's the opposite to that? That's the positive aspect of the verse. What's the negative aspect? He says, you're all sons of God or children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many who have not been baptized into Christ have not clothed themselves with Christ. That's the opposite. But the positive is, for as many that has, have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Hebrews writer says that he is the author of eternal salvation. Unto, unto who? Unto all those who obey him. So therein lies the difference. He's the author of eternal salvation. He's the one that instigates and starts, initiates the process of salvation, but only to those who obey him. Most people think that he's the author of my salvation. And they just don't quote the rest of the passage. But the rest of the passage is for all those who obey him. So in actually it's present tense, which means all those who keep on obeying him. So the whole idea is associated with our response, our response by faith. Yes, we're saved by faith, but faith must respond in doing that which the Lord has told us to do. Baptism is one of those conditions. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago how the word ace means unto, toward, for, in order to. Well, when in Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 9, the Bible says, with the mouth one makes confession unto righteousness. With the heart one believes unto salvation, toward direction in order to have salvation. Repentance unto life. And now the same word is found with baptism. Baptize unto, for, in order that you have remission of sins. So all the elements that are associated with, uh, with salvation, the conditions, we have faith, one they believe unto 
righteousness, that we confess unto salvation, that we repent unto life, and that we are baptized for unto the remission of sins. All the conditions right there. It's interesting that you're not going to find all those conditions together in one little verse, but you're going to find them throughout. Just like we have here. Jesus, when he says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He doesn't mention anything about uh, confession. He doesn't mention anything about repentance. But it's implied based upon all the other teaching. And so it is with all those other passages. So when it says you're saved by faith, well, what does faith do? Faith must obey. (laughs) And so faith must respond according to those conditions. So before one is baptized, lost in sin, separated from God, without hope. And then after baptism, sins are washed away. They are in Christ, in the church, and there's a hope of heaven. And again, we come into Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So there was a a common practice, a common mindset here in the church at Rome. Some of the Christians were saying, well, the more I sin, the more grace I'm going to get. So let's do more sin and we'll get more grace. So Paul says, what are you talking about? And then he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some translations say, God forbid, those aren't the words. That's an idiom or an expression that captures the meaning of certainly not. God forbid. Why would one think that way? He says, and so he goes on to remind them. He said, don't you remember your baptism? Notice he's he's not saying, don't you remember the time that you believed and were saved? He didn't say that. He recalls to their memories the time they were baptized. Notice, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here we find again the connection, the connection of the forgiveness of sins, that Christ died for sins, but it's carried to the act of baptism. Now again, Is it the water, Brother Don, that washes away our sin? No. The water doesn't wash away our sin. It's our faith in obeying the command to do that. That's what washes our sins away. It has nothing to do with water regeneration. But it has everything to do with obedience to Christ. And so just like Naaman, you know, why did he pick the Jordan? Why did he say dip in water? Why couldn't he say eat a prime rib seven times? That's what I would like to do, right? But he didn't say that. He he chose what he wanted. 
And he said, I want you to dip in the water. Well, today, people question that. Why does he want me to be baptized? Be baptized. Does he really think, do you really think I'm going to go to hell if I don't get dipped in water? Do you really think God is that unkind? You hear all those expressions. And yet, that's exactly what he said in the Old Testament. That's exactly what he says in the New Testament. He says you can, it's, it's his way or the highway, right? He's the boss. And we do what he says. But we're all concerned about what's, well, about me. How does it affect me? What about my family? What about the generations that I've grown up in and with? We all believe the same thing. Well, the words of Jesus are still here. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And no person can remove those words because his word endures forever. So here we find that baptism is certainly a condition of salvation. And so I want to close with quoting 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. He says, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now, didn't God tell Noah to preach to the world at that time? He says, you, you need to get in the ark because God's going to flood this world and you're either going to die in the water or you're going to be saved by the water through the ark. Which will it be? So God using water once again. Now notice the wording here. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Water. The antitype. The type was the water that saved Noah and his family. And he says now there's an antitype. The real thing. The real substance. He says it's baptism. And that includes water. And notice he says it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. But it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. That's what baptism is. You're saying, I want my pure conscience before you, God. I want to do what you say. I don't want to have any doubts about it. And therefore, I'm calling on you to save me when I do the things that you promised me, uh, that if I do them, I will be saved. That's what that means. And so we close out by saying, what must I do to be saved? Well, I need to be saved by what Jesus said do. But I also need to receive his grace. If you're saved, you received his grace. If you received his grace, you're saved. I want to get into Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Baptized into Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says salvation is where? In Christ Jesus. And then he tells us that we must be baptized where? In Christ Jesus. Salvation is in Christ. We're baptized into Christ. And Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Salvation all wrapped up through the process of baptism. In other words, you can't get to the blood until you first go through the water. That's the idea. So we need to be forgiven our sins 
and have our all spiritual blessings. And that's the moment we become a child of God. Remember what Jesus said, a man must be born of what? Of water and the spirit. Born of water and the spirit. The spirit is the teaching. The spirit is what spoke through the apostles. And the apostle says, hey, you need to be baptized the water. How about you? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be saved? Do you need your sins remitted? Do you need the grace of Christ in your life? Do you need to be added to the church? Do you want all spiritual blessings that Christ can offer? You can have that today. If you follow what he says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Won't you by faith do so as we come forward together as we stand and sing?